In today's show, I interviewed Dr. Timothy Nidham and Melanie Shreve about the IAC emergency room experience. I asked them questions about the triage system and whether military rank will get some patients seen before others. Let's do this. Welcome to the IAC Medicine Podcast, a show that brings you closer to your medical team at Irwin Army Community Hospital, Fort Riley, Kansas. The more you know IAC, the more IAC can serve you. And now here's your host, the IAC Public Affairs Officer, Jorge Gomez. Hello, Army families, and welcome to another show of IAC Medicine. This is episode number five. I'm pleased to have Dr. Timothy Nidham, the Emergency Department Chief, and Melanie Shreve, Assistant Head Nurse for the Emergency Room. Welcome, guys. Thank, Thank you. you. Dr. Nidham, let's begin with the basics. What is the purpose or design of the emergency room? Well, the emergency room is designed and set up for emergency care. And that's the mission of the emergency room. And you can really break it down into four main goals for the emergency room. Mm -hmm. If you want to break it into A, B, C, and D, that's a good way to look at it. Airway, breathing, circulation, and then disposition. We need to make sure these people that come into the emergency room are stabilized in terms of whatever condition they have. If it's a life-threatening condition, that's our priority number one. And after that, we need to get them to the appropriate care after that. Let's say they come in and a family comes in, they take their child in. Their child has a fever. Is that fever life-threatening? Is it not? In most cases, if they come in with a fever as a child that's otherwise healthy, that fever is probably not life-threatening. In certain cases, it is. Mm -hmm. And that's where we're trained to identify that. And if it is life-threatening, we get them the right treatments, we get them to the right location, whether it be in our hospital here, or sometimes they get transferred to a hospital in Kansas City with needed treatments that's not available here, mm -hmm. so they can get better faster. And we're set up so we take care of active duty families, active duty soldiers, and retirees. And that's something that we both take pride in. Okay, we're so let me see if I understood you correctly. You said that there's four conditions that the emergency room is designed to address. We'll take care of any condition that you can think of. Mm -hmm. But the main focus is to identify anything that's life-threatening. Life-threatening, got it. If it's a condition that's maybe a simple fever, mm -hmm. maybe not a simple fever. It could be someone that has a headache. Is it a headache that's just a migraine headache that they have routinely? If someone has migraines, or is it something that's a little bit different today? And is it gonna be something that if that's life-threatening to them. Could it be something where maybe that person had an issue with a blood vessel that had burst in their brain? That's something that we want to identify. If it's chest pain, is it is it something where this chest pain is just something that is related to maybe working out too hard? Or was it not related to that? Is it something that is maybe a heart attack? Or is it maybe something that maybe they have a collapsed lung or something like that? Is that something that that person can go home with? No. And we identify those cases to the best of our abilities and that's what we're trained to do that's our specialty okay Both so from a physician perspective and a nursing perspective okay so i'm a layman and from a layman's perspective i the way i see this is the emergency room is designed to save people's lives because their life is in danger in some form you, they could also be uh, say in just severe pain 
maybe their life is not being threatened because of the situation, but they're just in severe pain, then they can come to the emergency room. Mm-hmm. Uh, perhaps uh, there's a threat to a loss of limb, eyesight, and I know that there's a third one that I'm missing here. Life. L- loss of life, limb, or eyesight, right? And we use that okay. frequently in a deployed setting. If we're deployed to Iraq or Afghanistan, mm-hmm. we break it into life, limb, or eyesight. Yeah. And someone right. that is suffering from severe pain, they can't tolerate that for long. Mm-hmm. And we want to make sure that their pain is taken care of as well. That's okay. important for us to do. Life, limb, and eyesight, that's a good way to look at it. Okay. Anything that's... You mentioned two conditions or symptoms. You said a fever or a headache that is often a symptom for other things that may just be chronic, not true emergencies. Can you describe a couple of uh, situations, conditions that express themselves or render themselves as headaches or fevers that are not true emergencies? Either a headache or a fever. One example for a headache may be someone that has a recurrence of a known maybe migraine like I was talking about, mm-hmm. or if it's just someone that has a tension headache. Okay. That's, we're, we're hoping to see that. We don't want to see someone that has some kind of life-threatening headache. Mm-hmm. We're trained to I- identify that, and we hope to find something that is easily treatable. Okay. Melanie, can you explain some of the um, patients that come with a fever? Specifically, I know that a lot of new moms um, are new to having a baby and they don't understand that perhaps their child may be uh, suffering from a very common fever or uh, I should say uh, uh, what is it uh, a temperature body temperature that is not necessarily a fever but to them they think of it as perhaps maybe life-threatening can you describe a couple of situations like that absolutely For us, a fever is not necessarily life-threatening. It will not be a fever that is the life-threatening event on a child. A fever means that the body is reacting to something, whether it's a virus or a bacterial, and high fevers are not life-threatening as long as they are not sustained for days at a time. There's a difference between fevers that are responsive to medication and that come and go with medicine and then they leave with medicine. Um, Fevers that we're concerned about are fevers that are in small babies that are one month or less, or actually, is it two months less, Dr. Nidum? Two months or less, that's greater than 100.4. Little people like that, those are fevers that are very warrant concern. So we are more apt to see those very quickly and bring them back because these are very tiny people and they can't fight fevers and infections like older children do. We take lots of things into consideration when we look at fevers. We look at how the child is eating and drinking, if they're playful and happy, if they um, are consolable, if they're fussy. Those are kind of things that we take into consideration when we triage them regarding a fever. Fevers are always scary to people, but fevers have a purpose. And like Dr. Nidum has said, we know the conditions that warrant life-threatening that would want us to address a fever. Let's clarify one thing. Aside from the babies that are two months or younger, what constitutes a fever? Anything above for us is for a baby. The baby that we talked about is 100.4. Anybody else? Dr. Say, Nidum, if they're over... Say, if they're over 90 days old, mm-hmm. then it's a different 
category in terms of the level of temperature that we consider a fever. Okay, let's say a six-month-old baby. What would be a... If they're six months old, then mm -hmm. we consider a fever 102.2. 102.2. What if they are four or three years old? It'd be the same thing. Okay, so at, mm -hmm. uh, what about uh, a six, anywhere from a, an eight-year-old, a nine-year-old child? What's the temperature that's considered at that point to be a fever? There's, there's one category in terms of kids mm -hmm. with age groups that we look at for fever of being 102.2, and that is anywhere from three months to 36 months of age. Okay. Once you're above that and you're an adult, 100.4 okay. is what we would say. That's that's the point where you probably either are starting to have a fever response or something. 100.4 or 104? 100.4, 100.4. 100.4, mm -hmm. okay. All right. Let's transition to a headache. Uh, at what point does a headache become an emergency? Yeah, what, what, at what point does a headache become an emergency? That's a really tough question. Okay. And even after you've been in the field for years and you've been training for years, you can't always just paint the same picture in terms of what is a headache that you need to worry about and what's a headache that you don't need to worry about. But by and large, if, if it's a headache that they are worried about, that's what we're open for. Okay. We're open for them 24-7. If you have a headache that I just haven't had a headache like this before, or I'm just worried about this headache, I have symptoms that I'm concerned about, that's what we're open for. Okay. If they have a fever associated with that headache, that can be a concerning sign. Okay. If they have neck stiffness associated with that headache, that can be a concerning sign. Lots of vomiting. Mm -hmm. If they have sudden onset, like it's a bolt of lightning and it came on, those are all things that we look into. Okay. And we look at other things, but if I was to go into all those things, we wouldn't sure, have enough sure. time. Now, uh, I, I, here's a, a situation that I, that I can conceive of. Uh, let's say a patient has um, a headache, a throbbing headache, and comes to the emergency room. Turns out that his, his situation is not life-threatening, but he's going to be inconvenienced with the headache. What do you do with them at that point? Do you still go through the normal as if it was another primary care appointment, or do you just... Uh, set him up for an appointment to be followed up by his primary care physician. What's the protocol? With we'll try to diagnose exactly what it is, mm -hmm. and hopefully for their case, uh, for their sake, it's not a worrisome headache. It's something that is going to come and go, hopefully as fast as it came. The next priority, and at the same time we're trying to do this, we want to get them comfortable. If they're having a lot of pain from that headache, we're going to treat that pain. So we're going we're gonna to get them feeling better. And then once they're feeling better, they're feeling good enough to go home. If they feel good enough to go home, we'll help them. We'll either say, you can follow up on this time frame, or we would help get them an appointment. Okay. If it's too bad, we can't control it. Or if it's some kind of a headache where it's not safe to go home with, we'll have them come to the hospital. Okay. Let's talk about the uh, triage system. When we have a new patient arrive, uh, what will happen? Tell me about the triage protocol and what happens. When someone comes in through the emergency room doors, we have a triage process. They check in with our front desk. Then they are what we call triage, which we basically gather a history of what's going on with their illness. We do a set of vital signs and we observe this patient. At that point, the trained triage nurse makes the decision as to whether the patient needs to be seen on the main emergency room side which could mean that they are emergent or need a bigger workup or gonna use more resources like labs and x-rays and time. 
those can be bumped to the emergency room. The other ones um, that we deem that are non-emergent or don't need a big workup will go to the urgent care clinic that opens at 11 o'clock or we are deemed to make them appointments with their primary care to get them back to their primary care, not as punishment, but for continuity of care with their providers. And so they have several options during the daytime to come. They all get triaged. Everybody that walks through our doors gets triaged by a trained nurse in order to make that decision. And after that, then the decision can be made to go to an appointment to wait for UCC. We send soldiers back to their med homes also um, to be seen by their providers or they are seen in the emergency room. After you're triaged, life-threatening, 100% life-threatening will be brought back immediately, quickly. They don't necessarily even sometimes get to the triage process. They come back when it's life-threatening, what we deem as life-threatening. Um, others that are going to go to the emergency room may wait two, two and a half hours to be seen back in the emergency department, not knowing that they're not emergent and that we know that they're uncomfortable and that they're for a reason, but they're not life-threatening, that there are sicker people ahead of them. What people need to remember when they come through the doors is once they're triaged, the triage process, the sickest get seen first in the main emergency room. The sickest get seen first. In the urgent care, it is first come, first serve. They open at 11 and stay open till about 10.30 at night. And they are first come, first serve. So those are one and two at a time. So you may wait a while to be seen in the urgent care because it doesn't matter if you're a little person or a big person or a soldier or anybody. Those all come first come, first serve. But in the main emergency room, the sickest get seen first. And that's why it's called an emergency room because we bring the sickest people back in the most quick amount of time. It often appears to some of our patients, I think, as if they are unfairly having to wait long periods of time. And they see others in the same waiting room, and they're looking at them, and they're assuming that they don't, they don't appear as sick or as in such pain as they themselves. Why, do you, why is that? Why is it that, um, I know that we can't speak on behalf of our patients, but what's happening? Why does it appear as if people are having to wait long periods of time? I think what people don't see from the behind the scenes mm -hmm. is they don't know what's happening in the main emergency room and they assume if there's nobody in the waiting room that there's nothing happening or they assume that somebody they heard somebody come in and their ankle hurt but that person got seen ahead of somebody else it's not for their job when they all sit in a small proximity mm -hmm. everybody hears what other people's complaints are and make judgments on those and at any point somebody feels like that there's something has gone amiss we ask the public to please come and talk to the charge nurse or ask for one of us um, that's in charge to explain what's going on um, we're working on communication of that so when you leave my triage room you should know whether you're going to go to the urgent care whether i plan to find an appointment for you or whether you're going to go to the emergency room um, side of the deal and that way then the communication is better and then you're not wondering why some people are going ahead of you and why they're not. Anything you want to add to that? In, in certain situations it may be that the urgent care side of the emergency room where they come in they're triaged by one of the emergency room nurses they could be seen in the, in the urgent care. In certain parts of the day, the afternoon, whatever it may be, maybe the urgent care is flowing faster for a period of time 
as opposed to the ER. Maybe someone's having CPR done. Maybe there's multiple patients that require a lot of attention. And so things can slow down in the side of the emergency department as opposed to the urgent care where what you might see in that situation is someone could come in, they had, didn't have to wait very long, and they can go into the urgent care possibly if, if that was allowable mm-hmm. in terms of how fast they're going through. They might get seen before someone that's seen in the emergency room, but we try to avoid doing that, especially if they're, they need to be seen right away or if they're, let's say, they like you were talking about with the headache or the fever, mm-hmm. if it's something that's life-threatening, we want to get them in right away. Okay. Let's clarify the the rumor out there or the uh, perception out there. Are some people seen sooner because of their military rank or because of the fact that they're a soldier versus not a soldier? I think that's a good question. I'd be happy to answer it. But I don't sit in the triage room. Okay. I sit back <laughs> in, the e- in the emergency room. Mm-hmm. Um, just from my perspective, I would say no. I don't know if... From the, nursing perspective, from the nursing perspective, a lot of our nurses sometimes don't even know military ranks. They see patients. We see them as individuals. A lot of us are civilians, so we see them just as the patients that they are. So when you come to the emergency room, once again, the sickest will be seen and triaged first, and it does not matter what your rank is. You can be higher ranking and come for an earache and I have a private that is coming in and they are short of breath and wheezing and their oxygen level is low. And that private is going to be seen the sickest come first. So we do have patients that feel like that their rank should be um, used in order to expedite their care. But once again, we expedite the care based on their chief complaint of why they're there, their vital signs, the whole picture is painted um, and it has and should have nothing to do with rank okay. at that point. Okay. If you have if you have a situation where someone comes in that has a high rank and has an illness that is not life-threatening versus someone that comes in with, with a rank that is not high-ranking mm-hmm. and has an illness that needs to be seen right away or it's going to be a threat to their life, limb, or eyesight, if we say, okay, we have someone in here that's high in rank, let's get them back right away, and that person that has a real life glimmer eyesight illness is sitting back in the triage room. We don't want that to happen. And that's that's what we want to avoid. Okay. It's like so, what I was saying. So when somebody walks in through the doors of the emergency room department, or excuse me, the emergency department, they are patient, period. Absolutely. And the only thing that you as a triage nurse are concerned is their level of sickness or their level of pain or the level of threat to their life or limb or eyesight. And then based upon that, they'll be seen either by the emergency room or they'll be referred to the urgent care clinic. And if they go to the urgent care clinic at that point, it's a first come, first serve. Yes, sir. Right? So still, rank has no play, no factor in the order or sequence of uh, patients being seen. Essentially, when they come into the emergency department, they are stripped of their rank and they're stripped of their uniform. Figuratively speaking. Figuratively speaking, yes. They are all patients that need to be triaged and addressed. And we also know when everybody walks through our doors, nobody feels good or they would not come to the emergency room. So it's up to us to discern how um, concerning their complaints are when they come in um, and how badly they feel based on their emergent condition. Sure, sure. 
Okay, so let me ask this question about urgent care clinic, especially for those patients who may have called the nurse advice line and the nurse on the other end of the phone said uh, to go ahead and be and check into the urgent care clinic. What is the situation when they come to the uh, triage nurse? Uh, will they immediately be able to step into the UCC? Every patient that's called from the nurse advice line that is told to go to the urgent care, they are still triaged exactly the same as anybody else due to the location of the urgent care. So everybody gets triaged appropriately and then they may or may not go to the urgent care. It's hard for the nurse advice line to be able to diagnose over the phone. So there are times when they come in and they end up being seen on the emergency room side because they are sicker than what we would feel for the urgent care. And they may also go to the urgent care, but they don't just walk into the urgent care. They still have to be triaged. And then once again, it's first come, first serve in the urgent care. So they may not just get to walk in or schedule an appointment for the urgent care. That's not possible. So they will wait okay. for the urgent care. And they, they get triaged, not by an urgent care nurse. The only type of nurse they get triaged by before they would ever go to the urgent care is an emergency room nurse. And the reason for that is it goes back to what's the lifelimer eyesight threatening process. Is it something that is safe for them to go to the urgent care? Or is it someone that needs to go to the emergency room? And so we have to have someone that's trained to identify those, whatever it may, in terms of whatever life limb or eyesight injury or illness it could be, we have to have someone that's gonna identify that before they would go to the urgent care. So we don't wanna have someone that would go to the urgent care where they're not getting the treatment that they would need or the diagnostic testing done they would need. So they have to first go to the emergency room first if they needed to, and if they didn't have to, then they can safely go to the urgent care. Let's talk about the emergency room here at IAC versus going to an emergency room off post. Is the quality of the care that they're going to receive here any less than the, what, they're, what they would receive off post or any other hospital? No, it's not. And in fact, the physicians, the PAs that we have here, the nurses, have gone to all the same schooling, the same medical schools. The doctors in the Army have gone to world-class training programs for emergency medicine. They're trained in emergency medicine residencies specifically, and they're board-certified emergency medicine. This is their specialty. They spend their whole life doing it. They, it, they perform at the top of the heap in terms of academics. When they go through the training programs, they have performed at the top in terms of the amount of procedures they do, the, the level of acuity they see. So they, these are doctors that are in the now and they're really at the tip of the spear in terms of what this field is. And in some emergency rooms across the country, you, don't, you, might, not, you might not even have a doctor that's residency trained in emergency medicine and that's really common. We make sure that we have emergency medicine doctors that are fully capable and trained in the field. Great, great. Melanie, how long have you been a nurse in emergency medicine? Um, I have been in nursing 32 years, and of those 32 years, over 25 of them have been emergency room nursing. Okay, and how, how, how long here at IAC? This is my 10th year at IAC. Okay, great, great. What's it like for you serving Army families? 
It's the best job I've ever had. I love serving Army families, and I always tell people in the civilian world, I don't get much back from the patients that I take care of, but in the military world, I do because they'd be willing, their families are willing to sacrifice their lives, their home lives, their their actual physical life, so that I can live in a free country. So for me, taking care of soldiers and their family gives back to me every single day. Great, wonderful. Dr. Nidum, give us a little bit of background. What brought you to become a, uh, a doctor and then an emergency medicine doctor? Well, in terms of background, I grew up in the Midwest, and I didn't know right away when I was either in grade school, high school, that I was going to be a doctor. It was a slow process, and for everyone, it should be a slow process. But at one point, somewhere along the way, I knew that this is what I wanted to do. And I also wanted to go either into the Army, Navy, whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. And I would really second what Melanie was saying. Mm -hmm. We get to take care of the sons and daughters of America. The families that have raised the, the soldiers and their dependents and also the retirees for generation after generation. And this is something we've chosen to do. I could be practicing if I wanted to... Either one of us. If we wanted to go mm -hmm. practice at any hospital in the country, we could. Yeah. But we choose to be here because we value what we do. And we like taking care of the people that come here for what they do. We value what they do. And right. when I've been deployed to Afghanistan, um, I was deployed to Afghanistan in 2010, years before coming here. And I wouldn't say it was a privilege to go there, but I was very humbled to see that there were 18-year-olds, there were 20-year-olds, all the way up to whatever age, whatever rank, rank aside, age aside, backgrounds aside, I was taking care of troops that were putting their life on the line for me. And I'd seen on multiple occasions where our perimeter was being stormed and I was, I was being kept safe. The staff I was working with was being kept safe by these, these young men and women on the and wearing the uniform mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and I can't really say that there's a much better job than that yeah right right that I can really perceive yeah you're taking care of some of the best patients in the world I suppose right mm -hmm. great yes well I thank you both for taking the time to give us a better understanding of the emergency room and for you listeners out there our Fort Riley Army families I hope you have found this program useful Kindly consider providing us feedback on our Facebook page or let me know what you'd like to hear. What are the topics important to you? Check us out on Facebook.com slash Irwin Army Community Hospital. You've just listened to the IAC Medicine Podcast brought to you by the Irwin Army Community Hospital Public Affairs Office. Until next time, be well and choose IAC. So long, folks, and take care. <laughs>